The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study them hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. And the guy behind you won't leave you alone. Ring, ring goes the bell. The cook in the lunchroom ready to sell. Hello, everyone. My name is Lainey Hameson. Welcome to our show, Talk Out of School, on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM and WBAI.org at our new day and time, 7 p.m. on Sundays, where we focus on issues affecting public schools here in New York City, the state level, and nationally. I'm recovering from a bad cold, so if I sound hoarse, please bear with me, and I hope I don't lose my voice. Our show is also available for download as a podcast. My guests this week are Amshila Jairam's campaign director of the Alliance for Quality Education, and she and Aji, a Bronx High School student, will be speaking with us about a new report showing the negative impact of punitive disciplinary policies in New York State, including overly harsh suspensions, and what changes should be made to ensure more positive and effective practices. But first, let's start with a recap of the local education news. The mayor released his preliminary budget for next year on January 12th, and the overall budget for the DOE would be cut by another $800 million, over and above a cut of $176 million in November. The DOE claims that no schools would be affected by these cuts, but many of them are described in such an unclear and confusing fashion they, that they seem to relate to loss of staff at the school level, including a cut of $100 million. In general, there's a lack of trust in the DOE and the mayor on this issue, especially when they claimed last year that the cuts wouldn't cause any schools to lose their teachers or programs, and most schools experienced exactly the opposite. Moreover, DOE is due to receive about $600 million in additional state aid next year as a result of the Campaign for Fiscal Equity Settlement. Why shouldn't the budgets for schools be increased, especially given the new state law requiring class size reduction, which was a central issue in the CFE lawsuit? About five days ago, the mayor and chancellor also announced tweaks to the fair student funding formula, adopting some of the recommendations of the working group that was appointed on the subject. They said that 45 million would be added to schools with high numbers of homeless students and another 45 million to those with high concentrations of students in poverty. They didn't adopt many of the other recommendations of the working group, including that the special subsidy for our most selective high schools should be removed. And they refused to say if this additional $90 million would be cut from the budgets of other schools. In the preliminary budget, there was no evidence of an increase in $90 million to schools overall. So that is troubling. Also, there was no mention of the elephant in the room, the need to revamp the funding formula so schools can afford to hire more teachers to lower class size, as the new state law requires. A few good things did happen last week. The DO withdrew the controversial proposed co-locations of several new success academy charter schools in the Bronx and Queens, the topic of our show on January 10th. This decision to shelve these proposals resulted from the massive organized resistance of parents, students, and school staff, and which in turn caused powerful elected officials who represent these communities to speak out publicly and privately against these proposals, including the borough presidents of the Bronx and Queens, the city council speaker, Adrian Adams, and one of the most powerful men in the state, Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie. Our great relief, however, should be tempered by the fact that two charter co-locations were already approved next year for success charter schools in Queens and Brooklyn, and also that the DOE may still propose alternative co-locations for these three new success charters. Even if they don't, we will have to help pay for their space in private buildings, something that only New York City must do according to state law. And that unfair obligation is already costing taxpayers about $166 million per year. Finally, there were important hearings on DOE's enrollment policies. Parents and advocates who testified as well as council members were divided. Some said that the new policies that removed academic screens from many middle schools and the decision to base admissions in many high schools on a lottery after separating students in four tiers determined by their seventh grade marks cheats academically advanced students of the opportunities they deserve to be a cha challenged and achieve their best. 
Other parents and advocates expressed disappointment that the administration had expanded gifted programs in elementary schools and that academic screens will remain in too many middle schools and high schools, which clearly have a discriminatory and segregating impact. The council members also seem split on whether this current system is equitable and fair. Council members Alexa Avlis and Shaker Krishnan asked Deputy Chancellor Weisberg if the DOE would alter their admissions policies to more evenly distribute students across schools to lessen enrollment at the most overcrowded schools to make it easier for them to meet the class size goals in the new state law. Sadly, he said no, and he argued that this instead would depend on principals at underutilized schools to make their schools more attractive to parents. I provided testimony as to why this strategy should be seriously considered if we are to meet the class size targets in the law and how it would provide many other benefits as well, including likely allowing for more diversity across schools. I'll put a link to my testimony in the resources section of WBAI archives in the podcast, as well as news links about many of these events. But now I'd like to turn to my special guest, Amshila Jairam, Campaign Director of Alliance for Education. Welcome. Thank you so much, Lainey. Thank you for having me. We also have a Bronx High School student with us named Aji. Aji, welcome to Talk Out of School. Hi, thank you. So both of you, what is the problem currently with disciplinary practices in schools throughout the state, including suspensions? Amshula, maybe you want to start? Sure. Um, So I think the, the first thing to understand is that Suspensions are, are an incredibly harmful practice with real and lasting consequences. I think, you know, for a lot of people, the idea of suspension seems, you know, maybe serious, but ultimately like not that big of a deal. A child stays for home from school for a day or spends a few hours in detention, has some time to cool off, and then it's over. Um, but that is not the reality. Um, and what the research shows, including findings from the state education department, um, who recently released a report on school discipline is that suspensions are not a neutral punishment by any stretch of the imagination. Suspensions lead to learning loss. They lead to students falling behind. They hugely, even a single suspension increases the likelihood that a kid will drop out of school. Um, And suspensions are also the first stop in the school to prison and deportation pipeline. Again, all of this is research cited by the SCD as well. It's not just advocates saying it. So in other words, what starts out as punishment in the classroom ends for many students with incarceration or literally being kicked out of the country. That is how serious this is. Um, And the second, just to like give you kind of a sense of the scope of the problem, the rates of suspensions in New York State are really high and they have remained relatively steady for many years. There's an average of 766 students who are suspended every single day. That's almost 800 kids every single day being suspended. Um, 137,904 students were suspended at least once last year, and 913,811 days of instruction were lost to suspensions. That's almost a million days of instruction lost to suspensions. Um, And then the third thing I'll say, uh, and then I'll pass it over to Aji, is that it's overwhelmingly happening to Black boys, to low-income students, and students with disabilities. That is not discipline. That is discrimination, right? That's systemic racism, that's classism, and that's ableism. Um, And actually, the SED report is is pretty explicit about this reality, too. And they say, I I quote, that they want to acknowledge the elephant in the room um, about who this is happening to. And I think it's such a testament um, to the integrity of the work that the task force did. And it should be a clear call to action to anyone in the legislature who cares about justice and about equality. Aji, do you have something to add to that? Yeah, um, just to kind of reiterate what Amshala was saying, like it put, they push young people out of school. It directly correlates with the school to prison pipeline. Like it's all statistic shown, like it's proven. Um, it's disproportionately affects students of color, students with disabilities, students that are LGBTQ plus and et cetera. Like th- there are alternatives to this and suspensions really don't do anything besides ostracize students and like put them behind in their schoolwork, 
a lot of students miss out on instruction time while being suspended, and it does nothing but harm the student and push them out of the school education system. Have you personally seen harsh discipline practices at your high school? Yes, for sure. My school constantly, like, threatens us with being suspended. Like, I've seen many of my peers get suspended. For example, I had this one friend. He got suspended um, due to a physical altercation. And if the school took proper action before it even got to a physical point, that wouldn't have needed to happen. He got suspended for up to, I think it was, like, two weeks or a week or two. And he was behind on his schoolwork. He started slacking. And, like, he just didn't see a point in really applying himself anymore because the school had already taken that much away from him by suspending him when they could have intervened when these other people were constantly picking on him for it to even get to that point. So he was being bullied, essentially, and he just fought back at that point. Yeah, and I'm sure, can you can you talk about in school versus out of school suspensions? Because I just I think a lot of people don't understand that. Sure. Um, so in school suspensions, I actually just took the definition from SED's report. It's basically when you're remo- a student is removed from the classroom and isolated from the classroom, but is still on like on school grounds and under the direct supervision of school personnel. Um, and that they're review, removed for like a disciplinary purpose. And then an out of school suspension, which I, I think is sometimes referred to as an expulsion, is when a student is actually physically removed from school grounds. So you mentioned before about this task force that the Board of Regents put together, which is our state board of education, mm-hmm. that came up with a bunch of recommendations um, and a report in December. And I'll put the link to the report, which is very interesting. Um, on the podcast and WBI resources, who were the members of the task force and what did they find in terms of the data, especially racial disparities in New York State? Sure. So, yeah, I guess I've I've mentioned the task force a couple times now, but um, the reason that I'm I'm so emphatic about it is because this report um, really essentially says, recommends everything that we have been fighting for in the solutions, not suspensions bill. Um, the, the recommendations line up like one for one. Um, the members of the task force were a pretty wide swath of stakeholders. So they included, um, of course, advocates, including from AQE, from NICLU, the New York Civil Liberties Union, from Advocates for Children, a number of organizations. They, it also included city school districts. The Albany City School di- District was represented, Ithaca, Saratoga Springs. Um, the Part, New, York New York City Department of Education, I saw. Yes, New York City Department of Education, who have incidentally already implemented a lot of the recommendations in SNS into their code of conduct. So like New York City is a good um, sort of pilot program, if you will, to look at. Um, it all, the task force also included the statewide teachers union, New York State United Teachers Association, um, representatives from the governor's office and from the assembly, New York State Office of Children and Families, New York State Office of Mental Health, New York State Police and Probation, interestingly, um, several district attorneys were on the uh, task force. So it's basically like anybody and everyone you can think of. But I think most significantly is that the teachers union w- were at the table, advocates were at the table, and actual practitioners from the city school districts were at the table. And so there was a strong consensus that practices need to be changed. But one of the strongest, um, I think, findings of the report was what you already mentioned, which was a big racial disparity between um, students of color and uh, white and Asian students, especially black boys, as you said, and and the highest rates were, were black boys with disabilities. There have been a lot of theories of why black students in particular face higher levels of suspension. And um, today when I was tweeting about this, this uh, show, Someone showed me an article from the American Sociological Review, which is really interesting. Um, The researchers used videotaped classrooms with actors playing students engaged in different kinds of offenses and showed them to teachers. 
Their analysis showed two things, that Black and Latino boys are perceived as being more blameworthy and referred to for discipline more readily compared to identical misbehavior by white students. They also found that at schools with large minority populations, students of all races and ethnicities are perceived as being more blameworthy for identical misbehavior, meaning students of all races at schools with um, majority minority populations are disciplined more. It appears that these schools more often utilize zero tolerance policies and where behavior is more rigidly policed. What do you think of those theories? Do you have any thoughts, Amshala or Aji? Um, I can start uh, and then I'll pass it to you, Aji. Uh, I mean, to, you know, to be honest, I think, um, I mean, the, this, this type of research is, is important in the sense that we need to understand that there's a common baseline, right? Like that, that, uh, the same behaviors are responded to differently based on race. But um, I, I have to be frank, Lainey, like, I don't think we need any more research to tell us what we all know and experience every day, right? Racism and bias is deeply embedded into our collective psyche as a country, right? Just this week, another Black man was literally beaten to death over a traffic stop as he cried for his mother. Um, our prisons are full of Black and Latino men and women. Being Black and brown in this country means you are over-policed and you are punished at every turn. Data, uh, data also shows high rates of suspensions, for example, for Native American youth. So I, I think, and and the data has shown this year after year after year after year. And I think, you know, what is so hard for, for those of us, you know, fighting to change the system and the students who are being, who are suffering under this system is that, um, we we don't we actually have all the information we need right like we've seen these racial disparities for decades right um so the question to me isn't about what is happening we know what is happening the question is what are we going to do about it uh, do you any have any thoughts about this um i completely agree with amshala and like students have been fighting to pass this bill for eight years and throughout these eight years we've had the same information this information is constantly being repeated and being told to us in different ways when like we know what's going on and we just need them to like understand they 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 know what's happening they know what's going on with us but we need them to do something about it like Amshula said. So what are some of the key recommendations of this task force report? Sure so um the the recommendations were organized into four categories. There's training and preparation, changes in practice, um, code of conduct revisions, and then data collection and analysis. Um, so the the thing that I'll focus on um, for us is the changes in practice uh, because they very much mirror what is in the solutions, not suspensions bill. Um, so the, the report recommends amending New York State education law to reframe the punitive model of discipline as a system of proactive, de developmentally appropriate, positive, and supportive practices that allow children to learn from their mistakes. So specifically, some of the ones that we pulled out are prohibiting suspensions for pre-K through third grade, except in limited cases, a vast number of suspensions are happening to the littlest ones, um, and uh, that should be managed differently. Um, limiting the length of suspensions to 20 days unless required by federal law. Um, so, and in the most extreme instances, if a, if a district really wants to suspend a student, um, they have to, they'll have to seek an extension that must be argued for in a hearing. Um, I mean, 20 days, let's be real, is also already at a massive amount of time, right? So, but we're, but at least, you know, having some reasonable cap, because right now, a kid outside of New York City could be suspended for an entire year, for example, right? There's no nothing in the law that prevents that. 
Um, ensuring that suspensions are only used for the most serious infractions. And specifically, they recommend um, changes to codes of conduct in districts um, where you cannot suspend a child for a dress code violation, for, you know, quote unquote, talking back. Um, And the point is that, you know, these are these are behaviors that um, should not be escalated to the point of suspension, because as we know, the suspensions have really, really major consequences for kids. Um, a couple of others, making sure that students receive the education and services they need during that period, including keeping current with instruction, being able to take exams, and having a plan for safe um, and productive re-entry to the classroom. Um, It also requires that charter schools uh, incorporate New York State education law and commissioners regulations regarding discipline. Um, And a a few other changes to the codes of conduct that I think are worth mentioning, removing biased language, deleting language like disruptive, violent, juvenile delinquent, um, and mandating the consideration of the developmental ability of individual students when engaged in misconduct, irrespective of their age. And I think that speaks a lot um, also to the issues with neurodivergent students, students with disabilities, is that we really have to have uh, be considering the context and why they might be behaving in certain ways before we decide to suspend them. Oh, and one other thing, Lainey, that I'll just add is that the report also spends a lot of time on the type of training and investments in training, creating a pipeline for support staff. Um, they spend a lot of time on this because they're not just saying we're just going to throw a mandate at schools and and step away and you all figure it out. What they're saying is we all need to work together and SED is prepared to provide that training and support um, like annually and ongoing so that's schools can implement this successfully and they're not left on their own to just kind of figure it out. This is Lainey Hameson on Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. And I'm talking to Umshila Jairam, Umshila Jairam, Campaigns Director of the Alliance for Quality Education and Aji a Bronx High School student, about the negative effects of punitive school disciplinary policies and recommendations on how to improve them. Now, the report also went into some detail about what are the positive alternatives, because issues will um, erupt in the classroom and in the hallways of schools. And when those, those issues erupt, what are the positive ways of dealing with them as opposed to suspension? Um, so I, I will say up front that I'm not an expert on restorative justice, but um, some of the positive alternatives that have are, have been used and are mentioned are, for instance, restorative circles that are used both for relationship building and building like empathy with one another, and also for instances where there's harm that needs to be repaired. Um, another recommendation is creating individualized plans to address student behavior. Again, I think that's very relevant, particularly for students who might be neurodiverse or have a specific set of circumstances that are, is impacting them. Um, and I also wanted to point out, uh, that actually UFT has, uh, this positive learning collaboration program. Um, which is an interesting example of, uh, the ways in which um, school districts can actually create programs that ad- seek to address the whole child. That's what that's what the uh, PLC website says, seeks to address the whole child, really thinking of all the factors that impact that child. That's very common for community schools as well. Um, and according to UFT, the, the schools that have these PLC programs have actually reduced their suspensions by an average of 82%. Wow. Aji, have you seen any of these programs in the school that you attend? Have you participated in any restorative circles or anything of the like? No. So um, what about more school counselors? Would that also be something that would be recommended? Yeah, for sure. Counselors are very, like, effective in helping students and, like, having individual time with the counselor can do way more than a suspension can do. 
Um, and also, Lainey, just to that point, there were last session, you might remember, there were two different bills, one bill to increase funding for mental health um, support staff in schools, and another bill that would have allocated one social worker and one school psychologist for every school district. And even that honestly feels inadequate, but like, you know, the, it's, it's, I think, the takeaway is that that it's not it's not just about SNS. I think SNS is, is a really really important critical bill, but we have to have all kinds of changes uh, in order to change school culture and give both educators the supports that they need and students the supports that they need. So several there have been lots of articles about how COVID and the school shutdowns um, affected students. Of course, many students lost family members or, or, or relatives. Um, and that readjusting back to the school environment was difficult and in many cases caused rising rates of, of, of issues, um, social emotional issues where students weren't used to getting along with each other in the same way or, or sort of knuckling down to the, the school routine. Aji, did you notice, I mean, you're a sophomore, so most of your high school um, years have been um, disrupted by COVID already. But did you think that there were additional issues when you returned to school from remote learning or blended learning this year or last year? Well, to be completely honest, like I haven't been, I hadn't been in a school setting since like my seventh grade year. So it was all like pretty, I couldn't really, I forgot what a school setting was like, honestly. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but I didn't really notice much of a like different kind of way of people acting. Like I, everything was pretty normal aside from the fact that everyone was more like separated and isolated. So it wasn't a huge adjustment for you personally to start when you started attending high school. Not really. It was definitely different, but not like people's behavior. So one of the things that that you mentioned, Amshala, uh, was about in New York City, the code of conduct was changed a couple times, especially in 2019 Mm -hmm. by um, then Chancellor Carranza. And the number of suspensions has declined by 23% since then and down 64% over the last decade. Um, more serious suspension, superintendent suspensions, which are longer than five days, declined by 37%. However, racial disparities still exist. Um, is what you're recommending basically already in the DOE discipline code or are there additional things that um, the task force recommended? Um, there, There is a lot in uh, both the SED report, but also in Solutions Not Suspensions, the bill that is captured in New York City's code of conduct, yes. Like for instance, limiting suspensions for the city's youngest students, the cap of 20 school days unless required by federal law, um, uh, curtailing subjective infractions for like things like insubordination, which subjective meaning like, you know, one teacher might think it's, it's attitude and other teacher might not. Right. But it's not, it's not, doesn't warrant, should not warrant a suspension. Um, and providing more options and training for disciplinary responses, supports and interventions. Um, all of that is, is, um, is reflected both in the SED report and in SNS. I think what SNS also does additionally is it goes into 
uh, it really stresses the importance of due process and strengthening due process protections for students. So some protections already exist, but again, you know, like everything, like whether it's our justice system or whatever, you know, the more resources the ha you have, the more likely you will be able to take advantage of these due process for protections. You know, we have a number of lawyers in our coalition who represent students at suspension hearings. Um, and even with a lawyer present, the hearings are nightmares. And what they say to us is, I can't even imagine what it would be like for that child if they didn't have anyone there, right? So that that is another really critical piece of, of um, the Solutions Not Suspensions bill. Um, the SED report, as far as I've seen, doesn't go into a, a ton of detail about due process. Um, but they do, you know, again, they do... Um, place some really, really important um, sort of guardrails around the worst kinds of harms from suspensions. And they do emphasize that that there must be a hearing, there must be notification um, and all, all of those types of things to ensure that, you know, it, it, suspension is... Uh, it is not easy to assess, suspend a student, and it has to really go through a process so that the student is able to be heard, both sides are heard, um, they have adequate representation, and then once those conversations have been had, then there's a, an outcome about whether or not the student should be um, suspended. So we've talked a lot um, peripherally about this bill, but not directly discussed it. Mm -hmm. um, the Safe and, Safe and Supportive Schools Act has been introduced for many years. Is that right? And has not passed. What, how many years has it been introduced? Eight. Eight years. And, and what, what specifically when you're talking about a hearing, would it require a hearing for a one-day suspension or for a five-day suspension or, or what, at what level? You know, that's actually a good question, Lainey. I'm not sure if I know if what triggers the hearing i think it's i think it is any length of suspension but i i might be wrong about that so let me just caveat that i'm not entirely sure um and and i think you know the the thing i would stress is that what the the research shows is that actually even a single suspension is incredibly harmful for students the sed report itself states that one suspension, one single suspension increases the likelihood of dropout, um, uh, or sorry, reduces the chances that students will graduate high school by 23%, just one suspension. And when, once you get to three suspensions, you're like, you know, you have like a 60% chance of not graduating from high school. Um, but I'm sorry, the, the question was about the bill. Yeah, it is it is coming into its eighth session. Um, and I think, you know, to Aji's point, we're kind of like, all right, well, when, what, at what point, how many more hundreds of students do we need to suspend and push out of the classroom before the state legislature decides that actually this is an issue that matters for children and it's uh, and that they need to take to step up and take some leadership? So I think we want to take some calls. Um, uh, listeners, if you have comments or questions about this issue or school discipline practices or anything else we've talked about tonight, experience with restorative practices or, you know, bad experiences yourself with your child being suspended, please give us a call at 212-209-2877. That's 212 209-2877. We'd really like you to call in with your comments, your suggestions, your thoughts. Now, the most recent version of this bill was just reintroduced by Senator Robert Jackson and co-sponsored by about 22 senators. Has the same bill been reintroduced in the Assembly, do you know? Not yet, but that is mainly because the assembly um, is in some kind of backlog right now. There are hundreds of bills that have not been filed yet or given a bill number. So it has nothing to do with our specific bill. It's just, you know, the kind of the administrative um, backlog that's ha happening right now. We are, we are, we 
expect and are hopeful that the bill will be introduced well within the next month. But for folks to know the Senate bill number is 1040, um, Senate bill 1040. And we do expect that it, the same as bill will be introduced within the next few weeks. So you mentioned that it's been, you know, introduced for the last eight or nine years and hasn't passed. Yeah. Who opposes this bill and, and for what reasons do you think? So, you know, their primary opposition, um, to be completely candid, has come from the teachers unions who have said um, that they have concerns about the bill. Um, I think that we are at really like a seminal moment in this campaign and what I hope will be really like a milestone for us, which is that the state education department has now come out with a report by a task force that included the unions um, that is essentially calling for everything in this bill. Um, you know, the, the, as to the reasons, you know, it's, it's, I can only speculate. Um, I think there, I think there's always concerns from agencies when there is a statewide mandate, right? Because with that comes accountability, um, and so I think what's really critical and what the SED report does so well is to really say, we're not just handing you this mandate and walking away. We are, we are saying these guidelines need to be in place all over the state so that all kids receive the same kind of protections and justice. But we are also saying that we are going to stand with you every step of the way and make sure that, that uh, educators are trained, that we're bringing in more support staff, that we're creating pipelines of new professionals who can come in and do that kind of social and emotional support work. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that I hope that we've we're at a turning point, because if the state education department is coming out with a report endorsing these recommendations, it feels like there's nothing left to say. We just need to pass the bill. Do you think there's more? I mean, more opposition upstate for some reason than in New York City, especially considering New York City has um, already implemented quite a few of these measures? I don't know that there's more opposition upstate. I think that there's been a perception that this is a downstate problem. Um, it is not. Um, actually, the vast majority of suspensions that we we analyzed from the most recent school year were outside of New York City and Long Island. Um, also, at the moment, the attorney general is investigating the Buffalo School District for discriminatory overuse of suspensions. Um, I think in 2021, the AG's office investigated Binghamton. A few years before, it was Syracuse. You know, so this is happening all over the state. And our state's top law enforcement officer has taken enough notice repeatedly, right? And not just Tish James, but her predecessors as well, where they have felt the need to put resources into investigating, putting districts under monitorship. Um, so this is certainly not a downstate problem. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for us to, to, to know fully what the opposition is, but what we do know is that there is a really glaring problem, right? When you have close to 800 kids being suspended every single day, and it's it's time for us to come up with solutions, right? We can't keep asking for data. We can't keep asking, you know, saying, oh, well, what about this scenario? What about this scenario? Our collective job as adults is to come together to the table and figure out how to solve this problem, unless we're okay with children with disabilities and Black children and LGBTQ kids getting pushed out of school, which I hope that we're not. Again, callers, if you have comments or questions on school discipline, please give us a call, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. One of the issues that I've heard from teachers and administrators both is that the restorative practices that they consider would be helpful are very expensive in terms of time and resources and staff. And that every single time a student acts up that could turn into a more serious issue, they simply don't have the time, don't have the staff mm -hmm. to engage in a real way 
with what's bothering that student and also create these circles of students, which apparently have to be somewhat small scale. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that the report does talk about additional resources for training but and staffing, is that right? So that there would be um, ability to really do this. And is this part of um, essentially part of the bill as well? Or how would we make sure that schools would get more, more resources for this? Because as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, DOE is being cut back. No increases for school budgets as far as we know even though schools are uh, getting more money from the state. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a really important question. Um, the SED report basically has two prongs. One is calling for statutory reform to the education law. The other one is calling for budgetary reform. And what they're saying, SED is clearly saying, is that we have to create a continuous funding stream so that schools can have the resources that they need to shift strategy, right? And to start um, getting the training, getting the personnel, developing the materials, all of those things. So I think I think it, it is key. You can't, you know, we have to to like quite literally put a, put our money where our mouths are, right? So the state has to come up with both the guidelines and the funding. And I think those two pieces are critical. So SNS does not have a fiscal note. It is not a budget bill. Frankly, we've never gotten even far enough to have that be a real discussion, which I'm, which is what I'm hoping will change very soon. But we, so it is not in the bill, but we are a hundred thousand percent in support of, um, of budgeted funding to implement, uh, to implement SNS and to implement restorative justice practices in uh, school districts across the state. I also want to say real quick, again, that, you know, I think we can learn from, for instance, UFT's positive learning collaboration, what kind of funds are needed to implement these programs, right? Um, And and we're in our third year of of foundation aid, right? Like schools have more cash than they have had. Um, And and it's- They don't though, (laughs) they have less. Schools have less money this year than last year, and there's no there's no proposal by this mayor uh-huh. that they're going to have more next year. Even well, I was I was thinking he's getting more funding. Yeah, I guess I was referring to the to statewide foundation aid that we're yeah. expecting to get. But your but your point is taken, um, which is why again we should not be cutting education, right? right. We, we just we we can't afford to lose a single penny, let alone hundreds of millions of dollars. So we do have callers. Let's let's have our first caller. Um, what's your name? Where are you from? And 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 what's your what's your comment or question? Sandra Ramos. And I are you there? Yes, we hear you. Oh, good. First, I wanted to say, maybe one years old. I ran away from home when I was eleven. I was always in trouble in school. And a lot of it was because I spoke up for what I believed in. And my mentor later became Flo Kennedy, who was the first black woman to go to Columbia. And she said, if you don't let me in, I'll own your school. She said, and what the young lady said, I think is just very relevant. She said, when the truck's on your foot, you don't go to the library to find out how much it weighs. You get it off. And, And all this research, and they're just stalling, and they're messing up children's lives, young people's lives, which are the future. And, of course, we know they have all these money for wars, but not money for human needs. And a lot of what, when my daughter, I, I've been away from home, I went to reform school, and they didn't know what to do with me, so they finally let me off grounds for a year, and I managed to get a high school diploma, and then I, I took the clap and all those tests and got a college degree, and I ended up teaching and in my class, people argued with me all the time, and I encouraged it. because, And a lot of what they call is insubordination. When my daughter was about 12, I, I had some children. She was, I came home. She was writing, I will do what I am told when I am told to do it. I said, what? I said, do you want to write that? No. I said, what was your crime? She said, talking in class. So I wrote a letter. What do you think this is, Nazi Germany, 19... 19- 34, and I, I wrote this whole letter, and they, they had me come into school, and they called the superintendent, and they 
they had a meeting. I had a boyfriend at that time in another life, and they let him in. He obviously wasn't the children's father because of, you know, race differences. And they they didn't want my daughter in. And I said, well, we can't have this meeting unless my daughter, Maria, could come into the meeting. It's about her. So they didn't know what to do, so they, they suspended it till future notice. Now she ran away to California, and she's a lawyer. But the whole system... <laughs> well, you trained her well. Thank you. Thank you for telling us your, your history and your daughter's history. I really okay. appreciate it. Well, I appreciate your show. It's great. It's important. Thank you so much. How well, about another caller? Caller, could you tell us your name, where you're from, and what your, what your comment or question is? Yeah, Tony, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, wonderful. I love that last caller. God bless you. I'd like to say um, I also enjoy your program because it speaks to something. I'm from the public school system, and that's what I saw as well. Odd that all the bad folks who need not to be in school and punished always look the same, but I'm glad that you spoke to that. And the uh, previous caller, Friends of Flo Kennedy, seem to uh, 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 allude to that as well. Uh, she at least had the spirit that many of us, uh, it, it seems to come down to compatibility. But at any rate, your, your program is very refreshing. And to that end, I was hoping you would say something in the way of uh, speaking to the fact that uh, only certain people seem to be uh, part of the gifted program. And what are we doing exactly to speak to diversifying that particular uh, segment of the student population, the gifted uh, kids all being in one segment, and what about a fast track for, or at least a track for kids that don't look like the typical gifted, quote, ungifted, uh, or gifted uh, student? What about some sort of track that would put them on the road to possibly one day also being graduates so, of? Yeah, so. The chancellor and the mayor have expanded gifted programs across the city, um, but there, there's opposition to that as well. Um, gifted programs tend to be segregated, unfortunately, and there's a lot of debate over whether you can really tell when a child is four years old how gifted they are. So, But they are on your side in terms of expanding gifted programs in many parts of the city. So um, could we have another call, perhaps? Caller, what is your name? Where are you from? And, and what's, your, what's your comment or question? Good evening. My name is Darren. Um, I'm from Long Island. I have a question. I'm, I'm, my hands are behind my back. I don't know what to do. My son has been suspended from school for uh, yeah, four months total, I think it is, because he threw a chair had some kid that was telling him that he was dumb and he was stupid and he would never make it. Now, my son came out of elementary school having a one-on-one para. And then he came to this middle school where we don't have one-on-one para. So now everything the kid is telling him is building up in him. So when he threw this chair and then the teacher came in and the teacher tried to stop the story, whatever it was, my son pushed the teacher because he was scared. So because of that, he was suspended. They had a, a hearing, and they just came up with four months of suspension. With that four months of suspension, all he's getting is one day, um, one hour day of online schooling. So I don't know what to do in terms of that. If I should, I don't know what's my next step. Four months of suspension. Yes. And what grade and is he in? He's 11 years old. I don't know if, if Amshula has a recommendations, but I would ask that maybe you go to your local uh, civil liberties union. Oh, Amshula says, can we ask for the caller, caller to share their information? Um, I think what you yes. should do is you can email us okay. at info at classsizematters.org 
with your well, information no, um, and we will try to refer you to an attorney. But I think also you could go to your local civil liberties chapter and ask for advice on an attorney that could get that suspension reduced. Cause I think that that's outrageous that there were four months. Did you have a, a legal representation at the hearing? No, we didn't have representation. We didn't, I don't think we needed representation, but we call, we asked for, um, we asked for another hearing for an appeal. And did they, did, did they give you another hearing? Yes, they're giving me another hearing, but I, like I said, I don't know what to do if I should. You need a lawyer at that hearing, I think. I I'm going to look up um, the Long Island Civil Liberties Union, and I will you uh, give you that email or that URL before we get off the line, because I yeah. think it's really important that you get legal representation and, a, and an attorney at your next hearing. When is that hearing? I think it's for the next, um, hold on, let me ask, my, I have my wife on the phone, Samantha. It's on the 10th okay, of February. I could just add. Um, it's on the 10th of February. End of yes. That. So if you go to nyclu.org slash en slash about slash legal assistance, or just look that up, legal assistance for NYCLU. You will see lots of different numbers that you can call for legal assistance. And they do have lawyers on Long Island specifically to help in that situation. Amshula says Advocates for Children is another. But yeah, do they represent? Lenny, can I just butt in for a second? Sure, There's a lot of organizations that specialize specifically in this. Um, uh, Advocates for Children is one. I know they're based in New York City. We have another coalition member that's based in Long Island. I just can't remember the name of their organization, but I would definitely look up Advocates for Children. And if you share your information with Lainey, we can connect you. Oh, okay. Thank you, Alyssa. Long Island Advocacy Center. Um, okay. Yeah, we, we can connect you. I'm like so sorry that you're going through this, but please share your information and, and we can get you hooked up to, to some organizations okay. that you have what expertise. What is your email? The email is info at classsizematters.org. And if you email us with your name and contact information in your uh, situation, I will forward it th uh, that to Amshala and Advocates for Children and, and New York Civil Liberties Union or give you the names of people to contact. Uh, because I think that that is incredibly unfair and it's really an example of why we need this bill to pass so badly that there are 11 year olds being suspended for, for three months for such minor infractions. It's really shocking to me. And Thank I would you. also encourage the caller to, you should also, this is stuff that you should be bringing to your representatives. Right. Right. Sharing your story and saying, we re I really want you to make sure that this bill passes. I think we have time for one more short call before we have to say Thank goodbye. You. Caller, do you uh, do you want to say what your name is, where you're from and, and a short comment? Yeah, uh, a short. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, disciplinary actions for students and getting them tossed out of school, how, what what infractions are there that they can be put out of school for? Any, and what are they supposed to do once they get uh, put out? Is there any type of programs out there that they can get into without missing education time? So it varies by district, right? Every district um, has its own what they call a code of conduct. Um it also, it's also hard because sometimes, you know, so for instance, Buffalo and Rochester both have really good codes of conduct, but they are not implemented faithfully. So sometimes even you, if you have a good policy, it might not be followed. So um, in New York City, um, one of the important changes is that, you know, students who are suspended 
have to be um, given access to academic instruction. They have to be able to keep up with their work. But again, in, in practice, how that's happening in different places, we just heard from a caller who said that his son has one hour of instruction a day. That is not faithfully implementing, you know, uh, keeping a student current. So that's part of why we want to, a statewide law, because one, the standard should be same the same everywhere. Like whether you live in Rochester or Westchester or New York City, you should have the same rights as any other student. Um, and we should be clear about what those standards are. And, and when we have state law, we can bring accountability to it. Um, if it's just, you know, pieces of paper that have no enforcement, then there's not a lot that that uh, parents can do. So thank you so much, Amshala and Aji, for joining us tonight on Talk Out of School. I'll put links to the new task force report and also to the bill aimed at reforming these policies. And so if listeners want to help push for more positive policies, Amshala, how should they do that? So again, the, the bill number is um, s 10 one zero four zero ten forty. I would encourage all your listeners to call their representatives. Those phone calls really matter because a lot of people don't make them. If a rep gets 10 calls on a bill, they will be freaked out. So pick up your phone, make those calls, tell them that you want your representative, your state senator or your state assembly person. You can look up online who those people are if you don't know and tell them that you want them to become a co-sponsor of the Solutions Not Suspensions Act and you want them to fight for it to pass this year. Thank you so much again. This is Leigh Hameson, host of Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio. Our show, Talk Out of School, is also available as a podcast if you missed the live version. If you heard through Apple, please leave a review. Also, please consider becoming a member of WBAI or as a special supporter of this show, Talk Out of School, by calling 212-209-2950. There's no other show on the air that deeply delves into the issues affecting our schools like this one. You can also contribute online at WBAI.org. We need the support of listeners to keep going as one of the only non-commercial, purely membership-supported radio stations in New York City that doesn't run any ads. I'll be back soon with another episode of Talk Out of School. Until then, be careful and be safe, and thanks so much for listening. Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical math WBAI listeners, this is Mickey Huff, executive producer and co-host with Eleanor Goldfield of the Project Censored Show, which is coming to WBAI Monday mornings at 10. Our program celebrates independent journalism, fights against media censorship, and deconstructs propaganda in support of a truly free press, all with an emphasis on critical media literacy. Tune in to learn about the news that didn't make the news Mondays at 10 a.m. right after Law and Disorder. It's the Project Censored Show here on WBAI. This is Law and Disorder. Hi, I'm Heidi Bogosian. And I'm Michael Smith. We're here to announce the new time for our program, Law and Disorder. It'll now be every Monday at 11 a.m. Law and Disorder exposes rampant injustices emanating from the U.S. courtrooms, boardrooms, police precincts, and more. We interview leading experts in the law, as well as authors, activists, and academicians who are working to bring about lasting and positive social change. We launched the show 18 years ago with the great constitutional human rights litigator, Michael Ratner. We've been reinforced by three nationally recognized attorney co-hosts. Jim Lafferty in Los Angeles, Marjorie Cohn in San Diego, and Julie Hurwitz in Detroit. 
Each week, we bring you a one-hour show interviewing legal and political leaders across the country. Our new time will be Monday morning at 11 a.m. right here on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City. Trauma code to New York City, trauma code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. For the better part of a century, Hour of the Wolf has given WBAI listeners the opportunity to listen to many of the great classic voices of science fiction and fantasy literary luminaries, ranging from Octavia Butler. I had God charge Martha with creating um, a better human species. To Frank Herbert. Kabbalah is a, uh, a person who can be many places at once. From Ken Liu to Ursula K. Le Guin. Physiologically, for 25, 26 days a month, they are no gender. They are ungendered beings. And then they go into heat. We also bring you many of the up-and-coming creators in the field, as well 